ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is the Relationships Rule Podcast, and this is Janice Porter coming to you again with a wonderful guest. I'm very pleased to have on my show today, Heather White. Heather and I have known each other on and off for years, and I think in that time, both of us have kind of morphed into different parts of our businesses, so hopefully we'll get into that a little bit. But I just want to give you a little bit of a a background on Heather, um, because what I love in her bio first is when she says, Heather wants to live in a world where people bring their souls to work and life. And uh, she is a sought-after authenticity advocate, speaker, and high-performance coach. And Heather's advice has been featured in many magazines. She's been an under-30 CEO and a TEDx speaker. And what I love about what I can relate to in a way, not personally, but through my my family, is that she is a sportswoman and has... um, I think, used what she learned in sports, and Heather, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that has gone over into your business as well, would you say? Absolutely. It's the foundation. Yeah, exactly. What I notice, um, my husband is a basketball coach forever, and my daughter played basketball, and the lessons learned from there just really go with you in, in your adult life. And for my husband, he's always taught that through. And when you see his boys come back and girls come back and what they're doing, it's always back to that teamwork, which is really cool. Now you were in a, um, an individual sport, right? Jiu-jitsu, is that right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I mean, I also competed in a lot of team sports growing up, but, um, you know, probably where I reached the highest, um, was in sport jiu-jitsu um, when I was selected for Team Canada. My sensei, Master Ivan Lee, was coaching the Canadian team and encouraged me to try out, of which I was totally resistant to doing so. But sometimes somebody's belief in you is enough to piggyback you into believing in yourself. And so, as they say, the rest is history. I walked away from the uh, worlds with a silver medal. And to your point, a lot of learnings to take with me. Exactly. So a formal welcome, Heather, to my show. I get sidetracked right into it, but that's all right. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. The other thing I wanted to mention about what Heather does is that she, I love how you put this as well, because I know Heather is a, is a, um, a coach, a high performance coach. And she says in her bio that she's been riding shotgun alongside high performing female entrepreneurs and professionals for the past decade. And it's taken you to many continents, uh, spoken to thousands of people, and coached hundreds of clients. I love that you say you've been riding shotgun beside these people. Tell me about that. Well, I, I don't know if that's just my my um, era growing up, but when we were, you know, first getting our licenses in our day, we used to be able to do that when we were still 16 years yes. old. But you, somebody would always call shotgun, like I'm riding shotgun, which is just riding in the passenger seat, right? Absolutely. So when there's four or five of you piling into a car, like somebody's going to have to sit in the middle of the back <laughs> and it was yeah, hopefully exactly. not going to be you. Um, so that's what I mean. You know, I've been sitting beside high performers um, formally for a decade and... Um, 
you know, navigating really, again, they're the drivers, they're setting the course of the vision. I'm asking questions and I'm giving them, you know, root suggestions, if you will, and helping them watch for things that, you know, another set of eyes, another set of ears, somebody to talk to. Um, and that's really, you know, that's the fundamental role of a coach is just to hold a space mm -hmm. for the unfolding of some greatness for people. It's so interesting because my background is teaching and as a teacher, I want to teach, um, explain, tell them what to do. And I don't think I'd ever be a good coach because the coach is not doing that. The coach is really supporting, right? And, and letting your client come up with the ideas and you just kind of guide them from, from shotgun, right? Yeah, true. Um, in my case, I have to say, you know, I, I definitely do. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Gemini uh, and I do tell people what I think. It doesn't mean they have to ever do what I do, but I think of it as, all, as like a co-creative experience. You know, I'll lob a lot of balls in the air for people to consider. I work with clients in a long-term capacity. You know, I'll have clients sometimes for a year, two years, three years. So I really get to know them on a fundamental basis. Yes. All my clients are professionals. So they're either building businesses alongside what they're doing or they're leading teams and organizations. Um, and so I get to know what's going on both for them as a person, but also for them as a visionary and as an entrepreneur, as a professional. So, you know, I, I have a lot of ideas too. So I'll certainly tell them what I think. And ultimately, it's their call whether they want to turn left or right. Okay, that's that's good way of putting it. Um, one of the your key things, and I know the name. I know you have a podcast as well, which is called Authenticity Addict. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yeah, love the name. Very cute. Um, but also the importance of being authentic, which I totally believe in. And um, and so I want to ask you, what would you say is um, is your is your point of authenticity because I think also as authentic I also think of um, uniqueness and what's your uniqueness that you bring to to the table mm -hmm. yeah excellent question for me authenticity is a practice not a thing it's not it's like it's kind of like if someone said can you go bring me some stress uh, <laughs> you know stress is not a thing either can you go bring me some authenticity it's not really something you can go buy off a shelf and um, Again, I learned that through contrast, really, how important it was both to me uh, as an individual and as a, an evolving being, but also to me as, a, as an advisor and as a shotgun rider to professionals. Because a lot of times organizations will put up, you know, values, missions, vision statements as platitudes on the wall, but forget that it's a daily practice. Mm -hmm. And um, the really interesting about authenticity, at, at least as I see it pertaining to business, is it has some fundamental underpinnings. I think the first and foremost is courage, right? It's, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be who you are on the inside, on the outside, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially what we're talking about, you know, especially when you put it into a context where we, many of us have been socialized and conditioned that there's sort of like a family face or a family uh, intimate circle way you show up. And then there's like the work place you show up. And, you know, for me, it's really been about breaking those barriers down, helping people see it's not to have to be without boundary or to be, um, you know, I'm not suggesting that people have to share their personal life at work or anything like that. It's more about the essence of how you show up in the world. It's creating a place where you feel safe enough to be yourself 
um, regardless of the context and to share your ideas regardless of the context to speak up regardless of the context and again to me that requires the underpinnings of courage and so that's essentially the practice I think that allows authenticity to be activated in our lives um, day by day because a lot of times it is easier or perceive the perception is that it's safer to just you know mask up armor up show up in the way everybody expects you to show up, hold that idea back, keep it to yourself, or maybe share it with somebody over here, but that person could never support you in the actualization of that idea. So it's not really brave to share it with them. That was the safe place. So my inquiry has always been, how do we create an environment in a container for people where they feel uh, safe within themselves so that they can courageously show up uh, as the greatest expression of themselves? Well put. There, that did make me think, though, when you were talking about how the world has changed so much with social media, especially um, Facebook. I think that's probably the biggest one, but maybe maybe Instagram as well. I don't know um, where you know people put so much of their personal life out there, which is probably why I never liked Facebook that much. But um, because those, I, I mean, I have a daughter who just had a baby and it's all very exciting and I want to share all that on my Facebook like you know because I'm so excited and uh, she's like mom don't put that on Facebook because she's very private and very introverted she doesn't want that out there my other daughter completely different but um, I digress so when I saw something recently about how um, someone was saying how that merge of the personal and the business life is what's working now for people, but it still doesn't seem very authentic in some way, especially on Facebook, that you put this this face out there that's, yeah, you're sharing your personal stuff, but is that really real or is it all just happy stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's a really great question. And I think that the interesting thing about social media is that it came along as a tool with no rules. Yes. And so, you know, for us as engagers with the tool, we have to make up our own rules and we have to create a, a structure in which to engage with the tool that allows us to be safe within the context of it. And I think, again, the, the margins are quite broad in this context. Um, to your point, I don't think it is a place where people are extremely intimate and vulnerable, which I think are two other underpinnings of, you know, an authentic expression. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look at social media, I don't see it as an incredibly safe place to share ideas. I think in one, at one time, it certainly was a lot safer. Today, you post an opinion, it's taken out of context, it receives hundreds of um, you know, comments. If, if you're a public facing person, you know, I'd really take my hat off to some of the people that really are public facing. I mean, I am to a degree, but mm -hmm. uh, I look at some of my colleagues and see um, what they have to, what they have to endure with regards to criticism, things being misinterpreted, etc. Also to your point, and I often say this to people, for the most part, Facebook's going to be the highlight reel. You know, with the odd friend we have that posts every negative thing that ever happened to them, yeah. you know, but the truth is most of us look at that and think, oh my gosh, like, you know, unfollow or yeah, yeah. hide posts or whatever, which is again, not very helpful when you think about the context of if somebody's, you know, in trouble, but I think we've all just become a bit numb. Yeah, that's very in a way. Very true. So I think you're right in the sense that is this an authentic place where we're really showing up? Probably not mm. uh, as a general rule. 
Yeah, I do find that LinkedIn is a little bit different in that respect because we keep it at a higher level, at a more professional level. So we don't really have to get that that good and bad and, and the emotional um, things that go along with it, for sure. So, so when I first met you, you were coaching, but you were coaching, I think it was your first business uh, that you were involved in ghost. CEO. Oh, CEO. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So you had partner or partners in that business and, and uh, it was your first coaching business, right? But I think you'd done some Bob Proctor yep. training before that. Is that correct? That's right. He's amazing, right? He yes. was a, he's quite the man. He is. Uh, <laughs> I met him through some personal development work that I did years ago. And he, I mean, he's still going strong, right? I know in his eighties and still going. Yeah. yeah. He's amazing. Um, and, uh, Okay, so go CEO. And then how long did you do that before things changed for you? I uh, was with the Go CEO from 2007 till 2011. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened? Then um, you know, I, so Go CEO is an incredible uh, coaching model. It's essentially focused on business development fundamentals. So it's helping in a very niche way uh, support small, medium-sized enterprise owners with regards to business development fundamentals. Uh, my background was in sales at that time. I had come out of working for a uh, broadline food service distribution company as an outside sales rep and trainer. So I was very comfortable in that world. Uh, had a great partner uh, who was the founder of the Ghost CEO coaching right. model, and um, yeah, and and did a lot of speaking engagements, workshops, presentations, and coaching around how to support these business owners to create profitability in their business. I found about, you know, 2011-ish, I started to become more um, interested in the people than the profit model. And that, that did not jive with what the purpose of Go CEO was, you know, and in the spirit of authenticity, being this evolution of spirit, if you will, um, it, just, it just didn't fit anymore. They're, what they were doing was great, just it just didn't fit for me. Um, and so, yeah, in 2011, I stepped away from that and started focusing more on the personal aspect of the coaching. It was, it was so interesting because one of the thing, one of the models in ghost CEO is no personal coaching. And so hmm. it was just interesting, you know, and I loved the building of funnels and the monitoring of very metric based sales and business development strategy. It was a lot of fun. But like hmm. I said, eventually I just, something was pulling at me. Mm -hmm. Um, starting again as the whispers and slowly getting louder and louder. And eventually it just became obvious to me that I just needed to make a shift that was more in alignment with who I had become. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know from um, my, my progressions that it, and there's an old, there's a book back in my day called Passages by uh, Gail Sheehy. And that book talks about each decade, how you change and how certain things happen for you and whatever. And I think that's probably what was happening with you, I'm guessing, right? Because you started to change mm -hmm. um, what was important for you at that time. And it's such a great thing that, you know, we get to do more than one thing, right? Because we do evolve. And, uh, and so your coaching has become more um, authentic, in, in a sense, more personalized and yeah, well, I guess I think, you know, again, I've been authentic the whole way because yes, I didn't mean that you no, 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 I, I, I know I didn't, I didn't yeah. take it that way. I just wanted to, just to give some context there, I think because, and the reason why I do that is why I wanted to do that is because I think it's so helpful for people to know um, that we do evolve and change, right? Right. And we grow and morph and what was right. This is what's so interesting because we get really t attached to commitment 
And it's a tricky thing, right? Because uh, loyalty, commitment, et cetera, these are often values that we've been really steeped in. Mm -hmm. And so when something starts to morph and change inside, we often have this inner conflict with regards to the values of commitment and loyalty and perseverance and this commitment to this evolutionary impulse that you're feeling inside yourself. So I just wanted to say that because I wanted to name what I think goes on for many of us when we are in that transformation process where what was once right, um, and it certainly doesn't mean it wasn't right at the time. It just right. means it just isn't right anymore. Um, and so, yeah, again, that's, that's really what happened for me. Um, and so, yes, but I'd say to be, um, more po pointed about what it is I do is I really support the people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, on, on inside the context of what their journey is with regards to the professional capacity. So at the same time, was your, was your um, journey becoming more spiritual? Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, you know, as a, as a martial artist growing up, I didn't even know we were practicing meditation. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> Um, but that was certainly what we were doing. Uh, but around that same time, yes, I had picked up a meditation practice. I was starting to be very interested in Eastern philosophy, mysticism, studying some of the old Eastern sa sages and saints, and just um, studying on a more sort of philosophical and metaphysical level. So certainly I can absolutely uh, resonate with that comment that, yeah, there was a spiritual aspect waking up in me that I could not deny any yeah. longer yeah really it is it's kind of exciting in a way that things change for to such a point that it really does uh, affect what you're doing and how you do it with with other people now um i'm taking a quote from your website that says why enough is never enough and how we are wired to grow and this is come from authenticity addiction is a thing a speak mm -hmm. a speech that a speaking thing that you do mm -hmm. um why enough is never enough and how we are wired to grow is everybody wired to grow do you think yes i do do you think that sometimes they don't think so is that yeah i do i think what what we're talking about here is sort of the intersecting point between the head and the heart right or the mind and the spirit so I think in many cases, our culture is very mind dominant. We worship the rational mind and the rational mind has some um, constraints and limitations as it relates to expansion and evolution. I think the, the spirit or, you know, the, the deeper heart centered place is absolutely wired for expansion and greater expression, um, which is what I, which is what I mean by enough is never enough. Cause what happens is if the mind kicks in, we move into judgment, we get to that place where, Shouldn't I just be grateful for what I have? And so what I try to help people navigate is moving from the place of polarization and either or that the mind will place us in. Either I'm grateful or I want more. Either I'm happy or I'm not. Mm. Either I'm fulfilled or I'm not. Either I'm doing something meaningful or I'm not. Um, that's what the mind does is it polarizes. And whereas there's a deeper, wider place where we can sit inside of ourselves, which is, allows the and both conversation to start to unfold, which is really where the chance for creativity and ex further expression lives. Because the truth is, yes, you're grateful and you're craving expansion and further expression. It's not, um, you know, and again, especially for women, it can be very um, subtly shaming to want more you know, in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so just, again, shame is, dark, thanks, you know, tip my hat to Dr. Brene Brown, who has just done an incredible job educating us about it. 
Yeah. Um, but it is just a dream killer, right? And so when you are contesting with this evolutionary impulse that is trying to express itself through the vehicle of your life and you're facing personal judgment and furthermore shame about that feeling, you get really stuck uh, in a spiral. And that's usually when people end up having a conversation with me. So what I try to do is frame the, the journey in a context that can allow them to move forward, where they get to be grateful and crave expansion. They get to love everything that they've done up until now and not make it wrong or bad, even though they want to move to the next step or the next level or whatever that might look. So also normalizing what's going on for people. Mm -hmm. So because of the level of, I think from what I understand, you work with a lot of women executives, right? Yep. And so when they have these feelings and things are happening inside of them and they, and, and they're in a, um, a pretty high powered position, they're not necessarily, um, they don't come directly to you perhaps without being, being referred maybe. Um, so I just want to bring this around now to the fact how much, how important is it in your business or how much of a play has it been for relationships and networking to to come into play yeah God, I, I gotcha no one. i yeah. hear you but um, Huge, i'm just enormous. thinking i'm thinking that that yeah that, well i wouldn't have a business let's put it that way okay. i i wouldn't exist you know i mean the the numbers are quite staggering as i'm sure you know as it pertains to entrepreneurship so i started this business in 2011 and i'm proud to say it's 2019 mm -hmm. uh you know and still going strong certainly like we've discussed a little bit you know there's been some uh you know re invigorated journey along the way yeah. or change in uh in sort of a new incarnation of the actual um context of what i'm doing right but, you know, business is people and people are business. And so I would never be where I am without the network of incredible champions, supporters, colleagues, mm -hmm. um, you know, that I've built along the way. You know, some of my biggest successes have come from the perspective that, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon said, your brand is the conversation people have about you when you're not there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can say, like, depending on which way you want to measure success, but certainly from a monetary perspective, some of the largest contracts that I've worked on over the course of my uh, career as an entrepreneur have come because people talked about me when I wasn't there. Not even businesses that I was out looking, they were not on my funnel. I didn't even know some of those organizations existed. They came because I knew people and people knew me and they connected the dots and I got to do some incredible work all around the world as a result of it. Well, and I, and I can say that um, when I ran into you a couple of years ago at an event you were speaking at, I hadn't seen you for a long time, and you knew who I was, and I knew who you were, and we from reputation, but also from those, it was just the most positive thing that you don't, you remember people, and that's important, right? That you, and you remember the right things about people, and you have always been, in my mind, that kind of person, approachable, and um and had a very good reputation here. I mean, in Vancouver, that's all I know you in Vancouver, but mm -hmm. um, certainly if anyone I mentioned your name to knew you, oh yeah, Heather, I love Heather, she's great. It's always been a positive thing. Was it you, I'm just trying to think, was it you that, um, uh, what's his name? The fellow that, uh, that was putting on that seminar that night that, I, that you spoke. Um, yeah. Uh, at Bloom. Yeah, Bloom Strategies, yeah. Right. Was it, it 
Okay. Was it, you mean Thomas DeShooter? Thomas, yeah. yeah. Was it him that you did a podcast with yes. in the closet? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. That was so funny. I remember that. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, in the closet. He was yes. in the closet. Yeah, he's we, funny. We were, we were recording in a boardroom downtown, and uh, it must have been the tree-cutting day. Oh. <laughs> Thomas is a former, former recording musician, right? So he's very... Uh, he has a different ear when it comes yes. to background noise and what's yeah. going on. And he knew that this was going to mess with the frequency of our recording. And so before we knew it, we found ourselves inside of a closet, yeah. um, which was, which was both hilarious and also quite poignant because of the topic <laughs> of the conversation that we were having. So it was yes. really interesting. Yeah, I did listen to it. It was hysterical, actually. It was quite funny. But anyway, so um, in your busy world, um, would you say, do you find it? more fun or which do you prefer to do or maybe neither um uh, speaking or coaching mm, excellent question so for me there has to be a bit of both and and the reason is is because the coaching feeds the speaking and the speaking feeds the coaching i, I when i say speaking you know for years i did a lot of keynote presentations uh in the last number of years i've really um, dialed that back. So when I speak now, it's small, intimate groups, it's retreats, mm. it's fireside chat style with a circle of women um, and some great men. You know, this is not to the exclusion of men by any means. Um, uh, only because, the, you know, the conversations that I want to have, I, I really like when they're contextually relevant. So I can... Um, I like to think of myself like a library. I read and study it as my life's work. I mean, I probably spend 75% of my time as a student. And so when it comes to coaching and speaking, what I really want to show up is as a resource. Um, but I want the context to be co-created by our conversation, whether it's you and I sitting here, whether it's a coaching client or whether I'm in a group um, from a more of a speaking perspective. And I want to be as surprised and delighted by what content we pull out of the quote unquote library uh, as anybody, because it, it's, it feels more inspired in that context. It feels um, more creative in that context. And so I think I would, I it would be too small if all I was doing was one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. It wouldn't be intimate enough if all I was doing was group work. So I like how they, they're sort of like a, uh, an infinity symbol for me. Like they just weave back and forth into each other. Nice. Um, you know, the coaching helps me know what to learn more about, read more about, study more about, to add more and more value to what's going on for people's lives. And then the speaking gives me an opportunity to contextualize that in a greater um, capacity to really support people in a slightly bigger way versus one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one work. So two questions come out of that, that for me. One is, do you ever work with uh, young girls? Do you ever have any uh, sessions with young women? Because I just, I find that, you know, people like you to be a role model for some of the young women coming up. It's not that you're old because you're not, but you know what I mean. I the, do. The girls coming out of high school, the girls, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Do you ever get... And, and boys, but mostly women, I think, in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, not, not of late. Okay. For many years, I did. Uh, when I first started my, my business, I wrote a uh, speech called The Coming of Age, How Attitude, Goals, and Effort Affect Your Everyday Life, and actually spent a lot of time working in schools mm. um, and supporting that, especially in transitionary years, going from uh, the end of elementary school into high school, going from the end of middle school into high school, going from high school into university. Um, because those big, those inflection points, 
um, are, they can be really offsetting for people because suddenly this whole container that used to hold you shifts completely. Mm -hmm. um, and so really to help people frame things in a way that gave them more um, personal power uh, when they are moving into these new environments. Um, I also did a ton of work for the Young Women in Business, which was an organization founded originally at UBC, which yes, is my alma mater. I remember that. I spoke of Yeah. So um, I worked with YWIB for many years as in a variety of different capacities, including a board member for a number of years in their advisory board. Um, and uh, so I did that. In the, in the last number of years, my work has mostly been focused on women, uh, executives, professionals, and entrepreneurs. Um, it's not to say that I would exclude by any mm -hmm. means if somebody. No, I just was curious. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a, it's a really important question, and there is some people doing some fabulous work yeah. in that in that arena. So, yeah. I said I said I was just curious because curious is who I am. I'm always curious, and I always like to ask my guests, "What does that word curiosity mean to you?" Oh, curiosity means everything to me. That is, hmm. that is the bedrock of creativity. Hmm. Yeah, the wonderment. Well, you, said, you said that you, you do a lot of studying, a lot of reading along the way. Do you prefer to read um, a book in your hand or on your Kindle or on your whatever? Email? I'm embarrassed to say I'm quite old school. I've, no, never, I've, ne I've never read a book on a Kindle no, I or an iPad. Art. I love having um, actual books in my hand. I, I, I do too. Um, uh, so, but I do um, spend a lot of time in used bookstores. Okay. Um, you know, I... There's some great, especially in Vancouver, we're so blessed to have a couple of excellent places like that. And when I can't find a used copy, I'll break down. But for the most part, uh, much to my husband's chagrin, there's a library here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I can't, I don't know, I have a thing about library books. I, I think I'm becoming a germaphobe in, in my old age. So I'm not so sure the bookstores would, the used bookstores would do the thing for me either. Yeah, Although there's sure. a bookstore in LA I've wanted to go to. Have you seen pictures of that? There's a bookstore. It's a used bookstore, I think, as well as having some new bookstores. It's mm -hmm. in downtown Los Angeles in a kind of refurbished area. And it's it's got like structures made of books within it in different oh, places. Very There's cool. a video somewhere about it. It looks yeah, so yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it looks really cool. Uh, if I can find the video, I'll send it to you. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask you when I, from that conversation we just had, so one was about curiosity and about the other was about the young women and the third thing is about what do you read what are you reading right now oh i read it i mean i usually read about a book a week or so oh my goodness um, i'm so envious i uh <laughs> i just I, i'm obsessed but i i you know my, my interests span the gamut you know i read my husband's a professional golfer and coach mm -hmm. juniors and so i read a lot of stuff on mindset and performance and I read a ton of stuff on spirituality and metaphysics. I read a lot on flow and flow state. Um, I'm, you know, I also, I'm one of those people, I, I usually have about three or four books open yeah. at a time. Do you read fiction? You know, yes, I do. Very infrequently. Mm -hmm. Very, very infrequently. Let me think the last fiction book I read. Um, I'll usually read something very, not to, no disrespect men, but something very, easy kind of um probably like a john grisham or something mm -hmm. like crime or drama novel or something like that i honestly can't even think of the last fiction book i read 
I'm lucky if I finish a book because I'm, I'm very like moving one of my more. friends years ago, Danielle Laporte mentioned something. I can't remember when or what the context of the comment was, was about the permission to put a book down. Yes. That was a new concept to me. That was probably about a decade ago. So that is something that, that I do. I, I will do. It's rare that I, I get, I've gotten more and more discerning over the years because I do want to be mindful of my carbon footprint and I don't want to just cons buy and buy and buy and buy. So I'm pretty discerning now with choosing what I'm going to buy and read. So this has happened less often than, than it used to, but the, that was a very, no, very novel concept for me to give myself permission to put a book down that I just wasn't enjoying for whatever okay, reason. So I heard it in a different concept from um, a teacher of mine who, when I was learning to become a sacred gifts guide, mm -hmm. um, Monique is her name, and she teaches how to become a sacred gift, uh, certified sacred gift uh, guide. And she told me that, so there are 24 sacred gifts and one of them is uh, learning and uh, knowledge, another one is knowledge. And, and so if you have that gift of knowledge, you're constantly wanting to be reading and learning about different things. And she, she kind of said in, in describing it, so how many of you have like a pile of books beside your bed? And of course, I was one of those people. And she said, how many of them have you actually read? And she said, if you've read part of a book and then you put it down, it might mean that you've gotten all you need from that book. The lesson has come or the knowledge is there. Mm -hmm. so it's okay to put it down and mm -hmm. move on. And I, cause I agreed with you. And if I'm bored with it, there's so many books out there. Why should I keep reading it? So Danielle Laporte. Yeah. Kudos it was like, why torture yourself? And yeah. I thought, oh my God. But the fact that maybe I've gotten what I needed out of it. I yeah. Like it's that not beautiful. Well. Yeah. Yeah. On that same note, I remember Ram Dass, a spiritual teacher who I love the work of as well. Oh, he, he my mother about, used to my mother used to adore him. Really? Yeah. Speaking of another gentleman in his late eighties. Yes. But he uh, he was telling a story about some of uh, old gurus or saints or something, and he had, he had a book, and he said, "What do you think?" And the guy held the book, and he said, "Yep, there's some good stuff in there for you," <laughs> as if he had this, you know, like sort of telepathic awareness. Yes. Of, yeah, you know, just by holding it, he knew what was in it. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a couple of good things in that for you. <laughs> That's good. So That's good. So, just to wrap up, Heather, would you? What would you say your most important message is to leave with my listeners? Because you've been a delight, and you're very, as much as you come from the heart, I think that you're very. Um, you come from the head as well. I do. You have I some do. very smart things to say. Oh, well, thank you. Oh. Um, you know. Years ago, I was awoken in a dream from a dream, and um, you know I'm going to sound like one of those crazy people, but I don't I don't really care. I remember vividly the message from the dream, uh, and it said, "Who you want to be is who you already are," and it's become a, a mantra, a practice, a teaching, a core belief for me, and it really comes down to this idea of an old word called entelechy. Intelliki really translated, you know, as simply a soul, but it's this concept that inside of each and every one of us is this potentiality seeking expression through us. It's like the, you know, the oak tree is inside the acorn, you know, the, that the acorn has the intelliki of the oak tree in it. It has the potentiality. Um, and so the questions really become about fertile soil and context around how to allow that potentiality to thrive. And, you know, I grew up as an achiever, always looking for the answers outside, always trying to do right by the people that I, I thought were going to sort of open the next door, the next 
uh, opportunity. And so that would be the message I, I really want everybody to get. It's why I do the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the unfolding. I'm interested in dusting away the parts of ourselves that are hiding the natural uh, evolutionary impulse from expressing itself in the world. I really firmly believe that all the things we want to be and to do, and I'm not saying that we will not go out and acquire knowledge or study under a right. teacher or connect with people. It's more about the fundamental bedrock on which we stand when we do it. If we come from a place of, I'm not filling the blank enough, so I must seek out XYZ in order to be good enough in order for these results to happen, we've kind of lost the game before we even started to play. Right. If We're instead we stand on a bedrock of, I am fundamentally and essentially who I am meant to be, and I am seeking environments, people, connections, information, essentially, to burn off or dust away the blockages that I have between that natural expression and where I'm currently expressing it today. So that, that's really my message to the world is you already are the person you seek to be. Uh, and now it's just a matter of how quickly can we expedite your expression of that. Fabulous. That's really fabulous. I actually listened to you talk about that on your first podcast episode. And if people want to hear that again, I suggest they go to your podcast, Authenticity Addicts, yes. and listen to that story because it was very powerful. And, and it definitely shows the essence of, of your work. And, and I appreciate you sharing that with us today. It was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much for being on. And I'm going to leave you with one last thought. Stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.